You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So, friends, our task this morning is to continue in John chapter 17. We've been working left to right through the gospel account of John for uh, almost a year and a half now, and I was looking at the uh, preaching calendar last night and saw that we only have 14 sermons, including today, left in this gospel account. And this is not the first time that Mercy's Door has preached a full gospel account. Back in the early days when we were first getting planted, uh, we, had, we had preached left to right through the entire gospel of Mark, and that took us about a year and a half as well. And at that time when we were first getting started, we had said that we had come down here to Mascuda to plant a gospel-centered church for the communities of Mascuda and Scott Air Force Base. And if we were going to do that, that our church, the body, should know the gospel. And so we immediately launched with a, a sermon series through the gospel kind of mark, and we saw it shape the early culture of our church. We saw that those who were with us through that time, I mean, raise your hand if you were there for the majority of the gospel of Mark. Right? So we've got a, just a, maybe a third, maybe less than a, maybe a tenth, it seems, of the folks in this church today were there for that first pass through the gospel. But it was foundational in, in, in building the culture of Mercy's Door. In fact, in some ways, I believe that the, one of the only reasons we survived COVID was because of the deposit of the gospel in our church in those first three years. Um, because our church is now coming up on our six-year anniversary this coming Sunday. Uh, really incredible. And uh, the church's history is really split down the middle by this global pandemic. And in that first part of the church's history, as we were growing in gospel saturation, this church came to believe some things about Jesus and about what it means to be the church. We saw the church at broad scale rejecting the notion that church is a building, that church is an event, that church is a location or something that you do. And the people came to believe that the church is a people purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and set aside for holy living before him to build one another up and to spread the gospel on the face of the earth. And as people believed this, we get kicked out of the high school back during COVID with like no notice, suddenly have no place to gather because of COVID regulations, have no building of our own. We're scattered into our homes. It takes us five months to find a place that we can gather, but the church is not a building, and the church is not a day of the week, and the church is not a location or an event. The church is a people, and the people went and they were the people. They scattered into living rooms and they sought the word together and they broke bread together and they prayed together. And in that way, for five months, they huddled together in these living rooms until we could find a place, beautiful place like this, that would take us, that would let us in. And the church has persisted, but it flowed from a culture of belief about who the church is and that flowed from an understanding of the gospel. But then you saw what just happened. I asked you, hey, who is there for that? And it's maybe a tenth of the church, a, a quarter of the church, something like that, right? And so about a year ago, the pastor said, it's time to preach a gospel again. If you're going to plant a church in a highly transient culture, like right next to an Air Force base, there's going to be all of this turnover. You got to keep preaching the gospel. And I, I just pointed out to say, in 14 weeks, you will be able to identify as part of that new iteration of the history of Mercy's Door that sat under an entire gospel, and we want that to do something, right? Like, we didn't, like, pick it randomly, right? I bring it up for this week's message to say that last week I preached that John chapter 17 is my favorite chapter of the Bible, the high priestly prayer, and I said that one of the main reasons for that was that we get to see the inner heart of Jesus. We get to see the things that he desires in a 
intimate conversation between him and his father that he allowed for us to document. Which means that here at the end of the gospel account of John, as you've sat under week by week for a year, almost a year and a half, here Jesus is summarizing the things that mattered to him, mattered the most to him, the, the things of his inner heart. This would be a time to lean in. This would be a time to be like, okay, what was all of this about? And so we're not surprised, I think, when in John 17 we find him praying about the same things he's been talking about the whole time that he's been doing public ministry. I had taught last week that John 17 is really broken up into three sections, that you've got the portion where Jesus is praying for himself, the portion where he's praying for his disciples who walked with him while he was on earth, and the portion where he prays for all of those who would believe where he's praying for you and me. This week, we are in that second part where we're going to explore Jesus' prayer for his disciples. But we don't want to make it three separate prayers. This is one prayer. And last week, we saw the first part of Jesus' prayer was this prayer to the Father that just said, glorify me. Glorify me. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. Why? Because of who I am and because of what I've done. I am the one who you've given authority over eternal life. I'm the one who you've given authority over all flesh. And so glorify me with the glory that I had before the world existed because I have done and accomplished what you sent me here to do. It is from this that he moves on to thinking about his disciples, his friends. And let's see what he has to say. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And I have had it, I've received some comments from you guys playfully um, over the last six months or so as we read through this book, where you guys have kind of said it really seems like you hang out on or hit on some of the same doctrines a lot week by week. And my answer to that was and is that while there are doctrines that are precious to me and that are dear to me, that this is not because I have some pet doctrine that I want to read into the text, but that when you read left to right through a book and you preach it, you have to preach what it says. And so if Jesus talks about it a lot, then I have to talk about it a lot. And Jesus is talking about it a lot. And here we take a doctrine that is precious to me and that Jesus talks about a lot, and we see that he's even praying about it. That in his own private conversation, not so private, conversation with his father, he brings it up. And in this prayer, he's not teaching, he's praying. He's not using parables, he's not using figurative language, he's just talking about what is with his father. And so this is as direct as maybe we will encounter this doctrine. We're going to find what is, and well, let's see what he says. He says here in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people. I, Jesus, have manifested your name, the Father's name, to the people whom you, the Father, gave me, the Son, out of the world. Stay with me. I, Jesus, have manifested your, the Father's name, to the people who you, the Father, gave me, the Son, out of the world. And this track of thinking, this track of describing what happened is very countercultural even within Christian circles. And this is why we preach it so directly and so often, because when Jesus says it, it's important that we understand it. 
You know, if you think about, I, I, there's a supposed like two or three billion Christians in the world. I say supposed not to uh, cast doubt on whether or not they're really Christian. I'm just like quoting a statistic. I haven't met them, right? So like supposedly, per statisticians, there's like two or three billion Christians in the world. I think this is all-inclusive of, of your, your Catholics, your Eastern Orthodox, and your, and your Protestants, and everything that flows out of those, all the subdivisions and denominations. And the church splits itself up over lots of different things, right? And you're like, when you see schism, when you see division, and Jesus is going to pray in this passage for unity, so when you see division within the church, you got to ask the question, like, why does the church subdivide? What are the things that separate us one from another? And that would have to be its own sermon, but my short answer is this, that there are the things that Jesus has said, and then there's the things that he hasn't said, and when we start to build religion around things that he hasn't said, or to build ideologies and beliefs around things that he hasn't said, it comes time to fight. Not sinfully. But even as we pursue unity, which we're going to talk about in today's passage, I want to hold out to you that it is better that we would divide over the truth that saves than that we would have unity over a lie which ultimately kills. And it's the truth that saves, and so we hold it out and we let the Lord work it out. And this is what he has to say. I... Jesus manifested the Father's name to the people the Father gave him out of the world. This is the doctrine that Mercy's Door teaches, that regeneration or belonging precedes faith. That regeneration or belonging to God precedes faith and is not a product of faith. Now, this is an important doctrine, and I want to hold out to you why, because I've been accused at times in friendship of being pedantic, or nitpicking word order. But that's not, what I'm, that's not what's happening here. We're talking about two entirely different doctrines if we flip the order. There's a reason why we're not Catholic. There's a reason why you're here and not over at the Catholic Church, right? Or there's a reason why you're not Muslim, right? Like there's a reason why you don't believe that you have to take the Hajj and that you have to pray to Mecca, you know, five times a day, and that this is how you make yourself right with God, right? And there's a reason why you don't go and confess your sins to a priest, and there's a reason why you don't say the rosary or say your Hail Marys, or, or there's a reason why, you, you know, you don't do all of these things, you know, give your indulgences in order to buy time off of purgatory for your deceased loved ones. There's a whole, all, all kinds of bad doctrines that various sects believe that we reject, and that, that, and that we know why we split over those things. And there's all these other things that we say are maybe more open-handed things. Where if you'll stay with me, there might be some who say the Sabbath, the Sabbath, that this was ceremonial in nature, and that Jesus fulfilled it in his life, and he is now our Sabbath, and so we don't need to observe it. And there are still some others who say, no, the Sabbath was not ceremonial in nature. The, the Sabbath flows from the creation account, and so it is part of God's moral law, and we are supposed to continue to observe it. And you guys are like, why are we talking about this? And I say to you, we don't break up over that. It's an open-handed issue, right? But then there are closed-handed issues. You say Jesus isn't God. I say Jesus is God. We have to break up until you agree right? Well, this is one that has been treated as an open-handed issue, 
but that it risks, depending on how you think about it, being a closed-handed issue, and I want to hold out why. There are many, millions, many billions who teach that we are saved by works. And we reject this, right? We reject this, head nods. We reject that we are saved by works. We are not saved by works. We say we are saved by grace through faith, right? This is what we believe the Bible teaches, right? We're not saved by works. But then there is a great deal of people who say, no, of course we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. And some people fit into a category. You might be in this category. You're like, wait, aren't we? And you mean well, and, and your, your doctrine's correct. You just say it weird. And that's fine. We're going to fix that today. But then there are others who, when they say we are saved by faith, they mean that. We are saved by faith. That my faith is a gift that I give to God in exchange for salvation. I believe in you, and in return, you owe me salvation. My faith is a gift I give to you. And that way we are saved by faith. And when you say that, when you teach that, this is worth breaking up over, is what I am holding out to you this morning. Because now all you've actually said is that we are saved by works. You've just told me which work it is. The work of faith. You must do this, believe, have faith, and then God gives you as a reward eternity. That's a works-based ideology. But what we see Jesus saying here is something very different. Listen closely. I, Jesus, have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. So what Jesus is saying is that there are a people, he says, yours they were, and you gave them to me, that there are a people hidden in the secret heart of God who belong to him, a people who belong to God, yours they were. And God the Father gives them to Christ. And when God the Father gives these people to Christ, Christ manifests the name of God to those people, which means that you were the possession of God before the name of God was manifest to you through Jesus. That you were stored in the secret heart of God, known to him but not to you, but it was already so that you were his, and you were his in order that he could give you as a free gift to his son, Jesus Christ. And those whom the Father gives to Jesus, he manifests the name to and so this is what he says. Read it again. I, Jesus, manifested your name to the people who you, God, gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. So Jesus makes this claim that his disciples know something, but maybe we don't know this. And so let's know it today. He says, they, my disciples, they know that everything you've given me is from you. But he just said one of the things that God gave him was you. Do you know that if you belong to Christ, it is because God the Father gave you to him? Do you know that all that Christ possesses was a gift to him from the Father, that it proceeded from the Father? Your faith did not produce your salvation. Your faith is a result of your salvation. Regeneration preceded Faith is what we teach here at Mercy's Door, and we teach it because Jesus is saying it, and he keeps saying it, and he's been saying it in this gospel when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and that nobody can come to the Father except through me, that everybody who the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus, and that Jesus will not lose a one. These are not new ideas. Jesus has said these things pretty clearly, but now he's praying in these terms too. God, these people who you gave to me, who I then made known to them, made you known to them, 
They've kept your word, and they know that everything you've given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. And so here we start to see our role in this. Our role is not that we traded our faith for salvation. Our role is that we are receivers. I, Jesus, have given them the words that the Father gave to the Son, and they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. Well then, but we know about Jesus. We've been reading this gospel. We know about Jesus that he taught non-discriminately that he would go out into the crowds and teach. That he, he, he didn't hold these things just for the disciples. He said these things to everyone. And some believed and some did not. On what basis? Because only some would receive the words. Who would receive them? Well, the ones who belonged to the Father who were given to the Son. And that was not all. And you're like, Adam, maybe you're going too far. Well, Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Sometimes I do feel like I'm going too far. But that accusation would have to be against Jesus. When we think about the role of faith, and we're going to get more deeply into the role of faith as we move our way through the passage, it's really important to me that you hear me clearly on the front end of the sermon, guys, that your faith is not something that you produced and then traded for your right standing with God. You were saved not by faith. You were saved by grace. And the scriptures say, through faith. And by and through are two very different words in the context of the order of salvation. Let me explain how. In Galatians, they make an argument. There's, uh, Paul makes an argument about the, about the order of salvation and righteousness. And he goes all the way back. He says, this isn't even a new idea. What I'm talking about right this morning isn't even a new idea. He brings up Abraham. And he brings up the covenant that God made with Abraham. And if you'll remember the covenant that God made with Abraham, that I will make you a great nation, that your children will outnumber the stars, that I will give you a promised land, that there will be widespread redemption through your people. This was a one-directional, non-conditional covenant that God made with Abraham before Abraham did anything. And then Abraham, through grace, believed what God said was. And then you remember the story about Isaac? If you don't, it's okay. Just ask in GC, and we'll, and we'll study it together. But God then calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, the one on whom all of these promises that he had made hinged. And so Abraham takes his son, and he starts walking towards the mountain. A servant asks him where he's going, and he says, me and the boy will be back later. And some have taught that to mean that like Abraham was lying because it was awkward about where he was going. But no, Abraham was thinking about what God had promised to do through his lineage and understood that somehow, some way, Isaac's coming back with me because God made a promise. And of course, when he gets there, God provides the substitutionary ram. And we read that God credited the faith of Abraham as righteousness. 
But what did Abraham need faith for? The faith was him actively believing what God said was. God had already done the thing. He'd already made the promise to Abraham. Faith was Abraham interacting with the promise and believing in it. And so in that way, we know that we don't secure the promises of God through faith, that God makes his promises, and then faith is an outflow from it. We're going to go more into that. All mine are yours, he says. He says, I'm praying for them. I pray for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those who you have given me, for they are yours. So with precision, he says, he says I'm not even like contending, like his will is never disjointed with the Father. Jesus is praying for the ones who the Father has given him. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He means Judas. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so maybe so that you guys just don't go home scratching and thinking that we're just having a, a theological exercise up here, understand that the reason why this matters is, first of all, I said it already, because we're talking about the distinction between I'm saved by works and I'm saved by grace. That I'm saved by something I did or something good in me, or I'm saved by something good in God. This is the difference if I start to say, I'm saved by faith, that I trade him my faith. Your faith is a gift from him, not for him. Okay? That's the first reason. That's just important for you to get right to be a Christian. Okay? But separately, for you Christians who are in the room, we start to ask the question, well, what is the role of faith? And the role of faith is assurance. You see, you are going to be kept in the name of Jesus is what Jesus starts focusing on next. He starts praying to the Father that he would keep you in his name. And this means that it is also grace and it is also a work of God through the Holy Spirit more specifically that keeps you from falling away, that keeps you in the name of God. Jesus reveals the name of God to you, he manifests it to you, and then you are kept in it by the power of God. You know, we said it last week that the things that Jesus asks for, he gets. The things that Jesus wants, he gets. The things that Jesus prays for, you can take it to the bank. And what he's asking for, for you, by extension, he's praying for his friends right now, but you're his friends, is that, he would, is that God the Father would keep us in his name because he's departing. He says, it's been my job till now to keep them, and I've done it. I've not lost a one. I said I wouldn't, and he won't. I'm coming back to the right hand of the, of the Father now. Father, keep them. Keep them. And he's going to do this by the sending of the Holy Spirit. So while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. This is meant to be to your joy. This is, he's saying these things. He said why he's saying this. I say these things in the world in order that my joy might be fulfilled in them. 
that my joy might be fulfilled in them. Jesus says this is for your joy. And so when he talks about the agency of God in your salvation, that he didn't just initiate, but that he holds on to you, that it is all credited to him, that you are saved at all, that you have any faith to speak of at all, he says this is for your joy. And so if you feel a great resistance to what he is saying here, what I would say to you is that somebody who has received grace does not rail against the grace that he's received. Their joy is fulfilled. It is the flesh that finds it offensive to acknowledge that God is sovereign over his people. But no child rails against God for the way in which he came to be his child. You were adopted in by grace alone. You know, I want to I read this to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his what? Grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is what I mean when I say that you were stored up in the secret heart of God. The mystery of his will is that he would look out on the face of creation and see not one deserving person of grace and that by something good in him, he would take grace upon any of us and pour it out and save us by his good will, by the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, it says, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. So when we say open-handed issue, on the one hand, I want to say sure. On the other hand, I want to say, but does it say it? Because if it says it, then there's a reason why we rail against it. There's a reason why we try to wriggle free from it. There's a reason why we want to redefine it. And those reasons are valid. I, like, I care a lot about the discomfort that doctrines can cause. I just don't think that, di that discomfort needs to be resolved by lying. It can be uncomfortable to see just how sovereign our God is until it becomes a comfort. If it's still uncomfortable, keep looking, keep reading, keep praying. Because insofar as it depends on you, church, to muster up sufficient faith to join the ranks of God, you are doomed. You simply can't do it. And every day that you look at your life and you're like, do I have enough faith today? Do I have enough faith today? You'd be scrambling to try to understand, can I maintain my salvation? But if it wasn't you that got you saved, and if it isn't you that keeps you saved, then all praise be to Christ that he did this by his own power and will. I want us to believe this because it changes the way that we'll engage our community. It changes the way that we will engage our Christ. 
I've, spo- I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. And so this is the application of what he said. He said, I I say these things in the world in order that my joy would be fulfilled in them. And then he moves on to this, that they are not of the world. Church, you are not of the world. You, from eternity past, were stored up in the heart of God for heaven. That's who you are. That's what you've always been. Through faith, through belief, you came to understand this on a day in history but from the perspective of God, this has been his, the mystery of his will from eternity past. So what is the role of faith? Well, Jesus says it here. It's how we engage in a world that we don't belong to. You see, when a kid stands on the edge of a pool, maybe you've seen this illustration before, and they've got their, their father is in the pool, and he's calling out to him, jump, son, jump, and the kid can't swim, right? The child has faith in his father and his ability to catch him. He's trustworthy. He's shown himself all those kind of things. He's got faith, right? And now the father has said, jump, I'll catch you. And so now I've been given specific words to believe. And I believe you. I believe that you'll catch me. But faith is belief plus action. And so until the child jumps into the arms of his father, he's got the type of faith that James calls dead. Faith without works is dead. See, faith is belief in action. And even this is credited as a gift to you for the purpose of the assurance of your salvation. In other words, you don't strengthen your salvation by faith. Your faith testifies to you about your salvation. So as you put your belief in motion, you come to see again and again that the living God is alive in you and that you don't belong to this world, but that you belong to him. And yet you'll never do that in the quantity and consistency that you want. And so, again, it just serves to drive you back to grace. In this circular motion, never letting you off the hook from your dependency on Christ. Well, Jesus prays for them. I gave them your word. The world hates them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. But don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. I am sending them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And this is the last piece. Your faith has a role in unity and mission. He says, make them one just as we are one and don't take them out of the world. I'm sending them into the world the same as you sent me into the world. The role of faith is not to save you. The role of faith is for you to carry out God's intended purposes on the face of the earth before you join him for eternity at the right hand of the Father. So you have opportunity by the Holy Spirit's indwelling in you by faith to walk out sanctification. Well, what does sanctify mean? Sanctify means to be set apart for holy service to God. And this is something that Jesus prays would be done for you by God. And this is why at Mercy's Door we preach this other precious doctrine that the same grace that saved you is the grace that sanctifies you. This idea that you are saved by grace and then you got to get to work in order to make yourself more holy is stupid. I said I was going to stop saying stupid from the pulpit someday. 
But, it's, but there's, a, there's a disconnect, there's a cognitive disconnect to say that my whole nature was changed by an act of God, and now it's on me and my flesh in order to add to it, to heap holiness on top of it. Like, come on. Jesus prays to the Father, sanctify them, set them apart for holy service to you. And he had said in the previous chapter, in chapter 15 and 16, that this would be done by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the fruit that you are going to bear in the world is also going to be credited to him. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, Christian, you just don't get to take credit for anything. You just get to worship him. Every time you show any proof that he's done anything in your life, you just get to praise him for that. And every time that you show proof that you are what you are apart from him, you just run back to him for grace because this is all ultimately about him and the glory of the Son. It's about him. It's a good thing that it's not about you. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the last part, I swear. He says it's for our sake that he consecrates or sets himself apart. Why? That they also may be set apart in truth. Here Jesus is saying what he's been saying. They're with me. They are united to me. By setting myself apart, I am setting them apart because they're with me. This is not a small truth. It's not, we're not just talking about positionally with God, although positionally with God, all of that is wrapped up in Christ. We're talking about today, before the day of judgment, you are set apart, not of the world, because Christ has united you with him and he has set himself apart. And this is why um, recently I've been having so many conversations about what faith even means. You see, we take faith to mean knowledge, and then we take knowledge to mean right thinking, right belief, right? And we just reduce faith down to essentially a mental exercise, and then that way we say we're saved by works. We're saved by what we think, the work of thinking right. And the reason why one person's going to hell and one person's going to heaven is that one guy was smarter than the other. He, he believed right, you believed wrong, sorry. It's just wrong. Faith is not belief. Belief is a part of faith, but faith is not belief. Belief plus action is a way to describe faith, but faith is something that saved people have. It's something that saved people do would be a better expression. But what you're doing, Jesus said over and again, is actually fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. So faith is not just a gift, but faith is, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't believe anything without his help. You don't do anything without his help. You must have the indwelling Holy Spirit to have even a mustard seed of faith, but a mustard seed of faith is all it takes to change the world. And I want us to come to know this forgotten person of the Trinity, this Holy Spirit who takes up residence in the church. I want us to come to understand faith mercy's door. I want you to come to understand faith as the product of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If faith is merely the strength of your flesh to think correctly, you're doomed. But if faith is guaranteed because the Holy Spirit's taken up residence in you, that means that it's just, it serves to reinforce again and again the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you are a children of God, that you are set apart before you've done a thing, so go do the thing. 
our affections will be realigned, our actions will be realigned, our mission will be realigned, our thinking will be realigned. The Holy Spirit will take claim of each and every area of our life on account of something God has done in us. I want this to be good news for you, church. I want us to believe it. I want us to condemn self-righteousness. I want us to condemn justification by works. I want us to condemn these doctrines that put us into a slavery church. If it's like, I'm not good enough, I just want you to hear me say, I know, you're not good enough. I don't want to give up the pulpit this morning because I look out at you guys and I think about all of the conversations from the last six months and there's just a theme within the church. We just try to we just work our way back to believing this one central lie that Jesus is looking for a contribution from me in order for me to remain okay. That what makes me really Christian is what I do. So much guilt and shame and condemnation heaped upon ourselves, but it's because we're believing something false about how we came to be his in the first place and how it is that we remain his. It was never you. Your role is to repent and to believe. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes it possible. So let's call on him now to draw us deeply into that.